Uh, welcome to Fort Cal's Church, everyone. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 2, so you can uh, turn there with your Bibles. But I was curious as we start, um, have you ever had this happen to you where a friend or a family member or a co-worker has maybe told you about a movie or a song or a TV show and they've just like hyped it up and they're like, hey, this is like the best thing ever. You have to watch this. It's going to change your life. Only for you to watch said movie or TV show and your experience does not match whatsoever. You're like, why am I even watching this? That happened to you? Yeah, I'm not the only person. Just in case that hasn't happened to you. Let me explain by telling you one of the uh, memories that comes to mind that this happened and it kind of like just shocked me and my wife. So uh, I, I used to work at this church. This pastor loved movies and there was this one movie that came out years ago and he just hyped it up. Like he was all over social media, everything. And he was like, this is the greatest movie. He's watched it three times. Pretty much he said that whatever you're doing, you got to stop what you're doing, get to the theater and watch this movie. So me and my wife, uh, we trusted him. So we got a babysitter for our four kids and we planned out the whole night. We went to the Guilford theaters, you know, where the nice recliner seats. We sat in those chairs ready for our lives to be changed, right? And 30 minutes into this movie, Movie, we realize it's a musical. <laughs> We're like, what are we watching right now? And I have nothing against musicals, don't get me wrong, but for some reason, this movie just wasn't resonating with us. It's grown on me over the last couple of years. I'll tell you what the movie is. It's called The Greatest Showman. Has anybody seen it? Okay. So I know my opinion is probably uh, not shared amongst everybody in the room, but the point is my experience and my wife's experience of the movie was not anywhere close to the person that recommended it. I've found a lot of times when it comes to our Christian experience, when it comes to following Jesus, some people feel the same way. No matter what background you come from in the room, maybe you came from a Baptist background or an Alliance background or a Mennonite background or a Catholic background. Sometimes, depending on who you talk to, uh, sometimes they're like, oh, my experience doesn't match some of the stories or the examples that maybe a pastor like myself has once said or shared uh, up front. A lot of times, I'm not sure about you, but you could be wondering, like, uh, why is that? Why doesn't my experience sometimes look or feel or sound like some of the experiences that I hear about, even particularly in the Bible, right? Like we went through this whole series in the book of Acts, some crazy things that happened. And some people I know, myself included, have questioned or asked, like, why doesn't Christianity look like that nowadays? So if that's you... And you've had those questions when it comes to experiencing God in the here and the now. I want to take some time as a community to answer some of these questions. I want to demystify for us the experience of the Holy Spirit when it comes to following Jesus. A couple of questions I want to try to wrestle with this morning is what does experiencing God look like? How do you know you've experienced the Holy Spirit, right? Like how do you know it's God prompting you to do whatever, maybe pray for someone and not like the enchiladas from last night, right? Like how do you discern that? The Holy Spirit, if you don't know, is the third person of the Trinity. He's the person of God we interact with and experience in the here and the now. 
And if you've been around PKC for the last eight or nine months, you would hear me and Dan uh, pray, come Holy Spirit. We pray that not because his presence is not with us. It's a prayer that is um, um, uh, speaking to or asking, hey, God, we want more of you. We want you to come in this place and not only uh, interact with us, but guide what happens in this space. We're open to whatever you have for us. And like everything culturally that we're trying to install here at Port Kells Church, we start with scripture. So Acts, as you know, is what we're going to dig into. And what we're going to do is we're going to take apart how the first disciples experienced the Holy Spirit. We're going to use that as a framework for our own experience. But this morning, if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, you have questions, maybe you just came to see if this God that we're talking about is real, right? And you're like, I don't care about this Holy Spirit, Ben. Here's my encouragement. Lean in. Because this is what I believe. This is why it's important for you, especially if you're exploring Christianity and you have questions and doubts. This is what I believe. Non-experiential religion is suspect. Meaning a religion that is all about striving to uh, be good enough, follow the rules, that lacks any interruption, interaction with a quote-unquote God it, it, it is following falls short. For it fails to deal with the totality of us as human beings. Religion void of experience is religion void of relationship. And God is a relational God. The God of Christianity created me and you to have relationship not only with each other, but also the God of the universe to experience his presence with us. So this morning, I hope you come away with a sense that Christianity is not only legitimate and authentic, but it's something that you can experience. It's not just a blind leap of faith. Faith is a requirement and is included in that, but faith comes as a response, not an initiating factor. Like Dan can tell me all about the best donut in the world that he ever had, right? He can explain to me how the jelly tastes and the texture of the donut, how fluffy it is, right? But until I taste it for myself, right? Until I experience that donut for myself, take a bite, I won't be convinced. The same, I believe, is true of Christianity. Authentic Christianity will engage, will evoke a response from our heart, soul, strength, and mind, according to the words of Jesus, so I'm going to share a couple of my experiences, my stories. Knowing this, though, your experiences might never look the same as mine. My stories might just be my stories, and that's okay. Simon Ponsby, a pastor and theologian in the UK, uh, he says it like this. He's been a huge influence for me and Dan when it comes to our understanding of the Holy Spirit. He says, we humans are all unique, not just with our own unique personal thumbprints, but with our own unique intellectual, spiritual, psychological, and sociological matrices, which must surely have some bearing on the way we experience and articulate our experience of encountering God. There's never a one-size-fits-all approach, but a tailor-made robe of righteousness fitted by Christ. This is why I'm telling you my stories this morning. I want you to understand that I'm not just theorizing up here. A lot of what I'm saying comes from personal experience. But in my own journey, what I found really helped me was hearing other people's stories and experiences. 
because it helped me make sense of my own and authenticate and legitimize my own experience. So Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If this is a new story to you and uh, maybe you've never heard it, you're probably thinking tongues of fire. That's an experience that I do not want to have. So let me explain what's going on here, okay? Pentecost is a Jewish festival. It happens 50 days after Passover, hence the name Penta and the word Pentecost, okay? So if you read the first half of the Bible, you'll understand why this moment is so significant to these people, the Jewish people, right? When they celebrate Passover, what they're remembering, what they're celebrating is the moment that God led them out of slavery under the Egyptians and set them free. And this moment is super significant to them because you need to realize the people of Israel have been waiting for this moment. The first half of your Bible, the the Old Testament contains stories and writings of foretelling and prophecy that say that this moment is going to happen. That the Holy Spirit is not just going to come on a special individual for a special assignment, but eventually it's going to come on all the people, what they're experiencing right now in this moment in the upper room. You need to understand that Pentecost is the key to unlocking the book of Acts. And if you're curious about what is the book of Acts or what's that story, we did a whole series on this earlier this year. So I encourage you to go and watch that on YouTube. But it's the Holy Spirit that empowers everything that you read about in the book of Acts. Everything that you see the first followers of Jesus, the disciples do. It's the same Holy Spirit that God wants to work through us in order for us to have an impact in the world around us. Until this moment back then in this culture to experience God, they would have to go to the temple. They would have to go and experience him in the synagogue. But once Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, he released his spirit. And one of the monumental moments that happened was this curtain in the temple back then that separated them from the holy of holies, the hot spot, if you will, of God's presence, was torn in half, signifying to us that now Jesus has made a new way for us to interact with his presence. For them back then and for us now, It's opened up the ability for us to experience him anywhere we are. And this is important for some of us to get this morning. We need to understand God is not distant. He's not out there somewhere in the sky. He is here right now. His presence is here. He's omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere. So the omnipresent God is here and he wants to encounter you. That's a beautiful truth of Christianity. And I love this truth because when it comes to my own experience, some of the most impactful, life-changing experiences that I've had with God in his presence have been in my car, just driving, listening to worship music, praying, moments that have altered the course of my life, moments of calling, moments that he's spoken that, hey, I want you to go to this city and do ministry there. Moments that I've 
experience the love of God in a way that I can't describe to you. All in my car. That's the beauty of this truth. You can experience God wherever you are. But a couple of things that we can see and pick up from this story. First, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and experiencing him, first and foremost, you need to understand the experience is outward. Verse 2 and 3 say, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Reading these verses, we could come to the conclusion that there was a sound. It filled the entire room. Meaning there was something palpable going on in the room. Also, they're trying to describe what they saw. And to them, it looked like tongues of fire that appeared. They saw something. These first disciples are trying to articulate the best way they know how their experience in that moment. They're using a lot of simile. I love what this tells us about God, though, when it comes to how he wants to engage us. Although not the norm, there is sight. There is sound. He has made us with all five senses when he created us as human beings. He engages those senses sometimes when he interacts with us. Just take communion, for example. I love what I heard one leader once say. Communion is what love tastes like. Think about that for a second. Communion is what love tastes like. God asks us to remember his life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, the ultimate act of love through the sense of taste. Some of you might be thinking, Ben, that's gross because communion tastes gross because we have gluten-free bread here. If you know, like PKC, we serve nothing but gluten-free bread. But just think about it though. Like when you're really hungry, maybe you've fasted, right? How good does a piece of bread, right? Fresh out of the oven, sourdough, whatever your bread of choice is, right? Like carbs, when you're hungry, they just taste so good, right? That's what he wants to equate when it comes to us entering in and experiencing communion. And although this is a one-time event in history that we're reading about right here, okay? This will never be repeated again. We learn the simple truth that when it comes to experiencing the Holy Spirit, it can be an outward experience. There can be outward signs. My first time experiencing uh, the Holy Spirit in a substantial way, uh, I, I was sitting in a service like this. We met in a gym at the first church I served at in Richmond. I was the youth pastor, and I was sitting there just listening to a sermon like you guys are. And as I was listening to the sermon, I was looking at my Bible, and this verse just popped out at me. And I felt, didn't hear an audible voice, just a thought that popped into my head, and I felt like God was asking me to get up in front of everybody and encourage the congregation from this passage, this verse. In that moment, I was like, okay, God, there's no way that I'm doing that. I'm having like an internal dialogue with him. I'm praying. I'm like, there is no way I'm doing that. First and foremost, the pastor, when he's preaching, he never stops and he's like, hey, does anybody want to come up and take my place, right? That never happens, right? So I was like, okay, God, if this is really you, if this is your voice, create a space in the service later on for me to be able to go up and uh, exhort the congregation from this verse. Couple minutes later, I'm not even kidding you, the pastor stops midway through his sermon 
And he says like, hey, I'm just going to ask if anybody has an encouraging word or they want to come up and share anything, uh, we're going to do that. We're going to take a couple minutes to do that. In that moment, I was like, oh, why did I pray that? Like, I was just like sweating, heart beating. I'm like, okay, well, God, I have no choice now. I, I better be obedient. So I go up there. Nothing prepared beforehand. I just take the mic and just like a fire hydrant, I just start speaking and talking about the simple verse. Uh, it's just Jesus talking to his disciples saying, take heart for I've overcome the world. And I start speaking for like 10 minutes. And it's like the words were just falling out of the, my mouth. And I'm not even sure if it made sense. You can ask my wife later. But as quickly as it started, it stopped. And I handed the mic back to the senior pastor, and he told me to keep going. I'm like, dude, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't know. That was it. And in that moment, I can't describe to you, again, I'm trying to put words to my experience, but it was like electricity going through my body. There was something happening in that moment, so I ducked into the side room, and I felt like the weight of the presence of God come on me in a way that I just dropped to my knees, and I just started praying. And as I was praying in that moment, I just felt this deep sense of unworthiness coupled with this deep sense of God's love and grace. And I just started weeping. I just started crying for about 10 minutes. But sometimes there are outward signs. Sometimes there is weeping. There's shaking. There's laughing. There's hands trembling, eyelids fluttering. Whatever it is, sometimes one way God decides to reveal his presence to us that he is drawing close in a tangible way is outward signs. He engages our five senses. This isn't the norm, but we can look for these signs. But I want you to get that uh, these outward manifestations although are a way that God comes and interacts with us, they are not for us to get hung up on. Some of you might never experience God in this way, and that is okay. We all are created different, and we all will interact with God's presence in a different way. Some of my most significant experiences with God had no outward signs whatsoever. But this is what I've learned. We're not going after the experience for the sake of the experience in and of itself. I learned that in my 20s. I learned that quickly when I was just going after these experiences. I was going after the experience rather than the giver of the experience. That is our goal when it comes to interacting with the presence of God. Having more of the Holy Spirit is growing deeper in our intimacy with Jesus. Simon Ponsby again says, we are to seek the Holy Spirit and look for the fruit of changed and empowered lives. That's what we're looking for. We must not be distracted or abstracted by phenomenon, either as critics or as thrill seekers. Let us press beyond these trimmings for God himself. Any encounter with God must be judged on its fruit and faithfulness, never on mere feelings or phenomenon. These are like smoke that accompanies fire, but it's the fire we seek, my friends. It's the fire we seek. See, we're a culture and a generation sometimes that are so obsessed with subjective experiences. And sometimes we're so obsessed and focused on subjective experiences that we ignore and put aside the objective fact that we need to make a habit of developing our Christian mind. 
informing ourselves so that we can live out our lives and make decisions that are in line with God's will for our life. But we need both. We need both the subjective experience and objective truth. Similar when it comes to experiencing the Holy Spirit. There's an outward experience, but there's also an inward experience that authenticates and leads to fruit. The inward experience we see in verse 4. It says, they were filled, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There was an inward sense, the way they described it is of being filled. With outward signs came a Holy Spirit experience as an inward invisible reality. Something changed in them. In that moment in the upper room, something was happening They experienced God deep down in their inner being. The first time that I really had this experience was on a trip to uh, London, England in 2018. That trip was a monumental and life-altering for the way that I did ministry and I led. We went to go visit uh, Holy Trinity Brompton. If you don't know, that's where Alpha started. And we were uh, doing a bunch of different conference sessions and meeting some pastors out there, hearing their stories. And one point we went down to the crypt of this church, this really old church, the crypt. They renovated it, obviously, so it was really nice. And like hardwood floor and everything. But there was 12 or 13 of us pastors uh, doing a Q&A with a church planter from uh, the local area. After we asked some questions, he just wanted to stop and pray for uh, the whole group and pray for individuals as the, the needs came up. And so we just stopped, and it was really, really warm in this bottom basement crypt room. And I was definitely suffering from a jet lag, so it was really hard not to fall asleep. So I had my eyes closed, and we were just praying. I was trying not to fall asleep, and then all of a sudden, I feel a hand on my back. I opened my eyes to see one of my friends, who I met on the trip, who lives here locally, uh, praying for me. I couldn't make out what he was saying or praying over me. But in that moment, uh, how I can describe it was there was this inner sense that something was happening. If I could put it in uh, terms that you can visualize it, if it's like my inner being or my heart, if you will, was being filled with uh, a, a smoke or a fog of some sort. Inwardly, I was experiencing all of a sudden this indescribable joy overwhelm me. After this uh, mini moment of prayer, uh, we ended and we were going to go grab some dinner. And as we were walking, I was like, I had to ask my friend, what were you praying for me? What were you praying over me? He's like, Ben, oh, it was just really simple. I was just praying more God, more of you, just more of you in Ben's life. That's all I was praying. And I was just repeating it over and over and over again. Paul in Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are inward feelings, inward realities, inward signs that we're walking in step with the Spirit, that we are experiencing the presence of God. Sometimes maybe you've experienced it also. You know, an inner sense of peace when someone uh, prays for you. 
This past Easter, for example, you know, I was nervous because it was my first Easter sermon ever in my life, and I was feeling really anxious. And uh, Marcus was sitting over here. And right before I went up to preach, I went and sat by Marcus, and I was like, hey, man, can you just pray for me really quick? And as he put his hand on me and was praying for me, this inner peace just overwhelmed the center of my being, and it just calmed me down right before I got up to preach. We need to remember this. Experience doesn't replace the supreme authority of the Bible. It always supplements it. I'm going to say that again. Experience doesn't replace the supreme authority of the Bible. It supplements it. This verse in Galatians screams at us when in step with the Spirit, you can experience God's presence through emotions. Following Jesus might lead you to many of these experiences. And I can tell you story after story, but again, I want to emphasize, we're not going after the experience for experience's sake. Jesus told these first disciples back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, why they were to wait for this experience. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the experience isn't for experience's sake. The experience is to empower us as followers of Jesus to mission. The experience is to empower us, compel us forward towards mission. The Holy Spirit didn't come on the disciples for their entertainment. The Holy Spirit didn't come on the disciples just so they can get excited for a moment. The Holy Spirit came in an authentic way to empower them to be witnesses. See, if the experience that you experience is authentic, it will lead you to vocalize, to share your faith. So many times when I've experienced the Holy Spirit in a deep way, it, it compels me to want to share my experience, to sh share this Jesus that I follow, to share the gospel. To share it in a way that intrigues the other person, that they can have this same experience if they come into a relationship with Jesus. And you need to know that when the Holy Spirit moves in me to express myself in that way, it, it, it is a miracle in and of itself. It's the Holy Spirit empowering me. Because if you knew me in high school, I was like this quiet, shy guy that would never do public speaking. I'd always be that quiet person in the background. But when you experience the Holy Spirit in a real tangible way, it compels you to share your experience when it comes to following Jesus. But here's what I want you to get. God fills the church in this story so that the church can fill the world. This is happening in your life. Are you seeking this out? Are you seeking to be empowered daily back then in order to move out into your community, your workplace, your neighborhood to share the good news of the gospel? See, the beauty of this text is in this moment, this experience of the Holy Spirit is made available to all of us Ordinary people that live everyday lives. One story that just inspires me 
of what the Holy Spirit can do through one person is the story of an evangelist in China named Brother Yoon. Brother Yoon of China recalls, and I'm going to read an excerpt from his journal about uh, the moment that he was reading and meditating on Acts 1.8. He says that he read this, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Brother Yoon recalls, I wasn't sure, he's a kid, who the Holy Spirit was. So I ran and I asked my mother, right? Good place to go to. She couldn't explain it to me. She simply said, why don't you pray and ask God for the Holy Spirit, just like you prayed and asked for your Bible? I prayed to the Lord, he writes. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm willing to be your witness. After the prayer, God's spirit of joy fell upon me, he writes. A deep revelation of God's love and presence flooded my being. I never enjoyed singing before, but many new songs of worship flowed from my lips. They were words I've never learned before. Later, you, you, you can find that some of these songs are still sung in the underground churches in China to this day. He writes, from that moment on, Yun began to witness to Christ with extraordinary power and fruitfulness. He later wrote, even though I was a teenager, the Lord enabled me to lead more than 2,000 people to Jesus in my first year as a Christian. His first year of being a Christian. I'm going to be honest with you. Some of us, me included, might not have faith to see 2,000 people come to know Jesus through our lives. But I'll tell you what I do have faith for. I have faith that if we take this scripture seriously and like Brother Yoon, ask that God would fill us and empower us each and every day to go out and share the gospel, I believe in our lifetime, everyone in this room can at least lead one person into a relationship with Jesus. And think about that impact that we can have collectively if we take this scripture seriously. If we believe that the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us to mission. So a couple thoughts as we close. As we as a community, you know, prepare ourselves for the fall. As we anticipate however God wants to interact with us and prepare us for what he wants to do amongst us here at PKC. We need to remember God is sovereign he is in control. We can't manipulate him. We can't twist his arm to move. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. And everything and anything that he does is a gift of grace. All we can do is simply prepare ourselves. We can simply create space to interact with his presence. But if we want to experience the fullness of God in our lives, here's the question. What is the plumb line? How can we set ourselves up, if you will, and align ourselves with uh, the presence of God to experience him in a real way? Two things. First, it's really practical. It's repentance. It's repentance. You need to deal with the sin that is in your life. We all have messed up. We all have missed the mark. The initial experience, though, of God's presence, his spirit, is by his grace, convicting you and shining a light on the areas of your life that tell you you need a savior. 
You need someone to come in and save you. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul says it like this. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We need to realize that the only reason that we can even make that confession is because the Holy Spirit is working in our lives already in that moment as a gift of grace. In order to come into a relationship with Jesus and his spirit, you need to believe that he died for your sins and rose again from the dead, giving you power over sin through his spirit. If you haven't done that this morning, maybe that is your first step in aligning yourself to experience God's full presence. Maybe as we move into a time of prayer, you need to respond and give your life to, to Jesus this morning. You need to surrender your life to him. If we go back to Acts 1, we understand before this moment in Acts 2, they were waiting and praying in this upper room. I know through personal experience, the more you pray, the more you draw close to God, the more you become aware of your sin, your rebellion, your unbelief in certain areas, the more you understand your need for God's grace. So that's the first step. The second step is obedience. As I was praying over this talk about what God wanted to say to us as a community, he opened my eyes to this simple thing that we can often miss. See, the thing that led the first disciples to experience the Holy Spirit in this way, both outwardly and inwardly, was their obedience, their obedience to Jesus. Obedience to the word of God is what leads you to experience the Holy Spirit in a real way. If we go back to chapter one, Jesus, the word became flesh and told them in the previous chapter, wait in Jerusalem till you receive power. So what did they do? They were obedient. They waited and it led them to experience the Holy Spirit in a substantial way. And although our experience won't be exactly the same, the truth stands firm. The idea of obedience to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we need to say yes to God. See, most of us claim to, to love God and live our ways and live our lives in a way that shows that, but really we're living our lives in a way that shows that we are really the center of our universe. That we'd rather be obedient to what we want to see done and how we want to see our lives lived out than what God wills for our life. So here's my question. What was the last thing that God told you to be obedient about that you haven't done, that you haven't taken a step towards him in that sense? This story from this uh, past uh, Friday, we do a, a worship and prayer night. Some of you know, it's called a Ramos. And I love this story because there was a, a woman that came and she told my wife this story that all week, she just had this sense that God was asking her to invite a friend to come out with her for the first time to a Ramos, this worship and prayer night on Friday night. And it happened on Monday. She just ignored it. Tuesday, ignored it. She ignored it all week. Fast forward to Friday. She finally decided that, okay, this nagging sense is not going away. I'm going to just pull over into this random parking lot and just text my friend and see where she's at. So she pulls over, she texts her friend. She's like, hey, what are you doing? Where are you at? Her friend's like, oh, I'm at this Starbucks parking lot, uh, just about to leave, and uh, I don't really have any plans. As soon as she read that text, she realized that she's in the same parking lot as her friend in that moment. 
She's like, what are you doing? I, she's like, I have no plans. She's like, get in my car. We're going to a Ramos in that moment. What is the last thing you've sensed or felt God is asking you to do? This is what I believe. Obedience and repentance are two of the most important things that we need to highlight, that we need to take seriously if we want to see a move of God in our generation. A commentator on the Salakot revival, a revival that happened in Pakistan um, in, early, in the early 20th century, wrote, these, wrote this, okay? There are two conditions for God to use us in revival to win souls. It's obedience and purity. Obedience in everything, even in the least. Surrendering up our wills and taking the will of God. Let's pray.